Mac Power Users, episode 284, Optimize Your Mac. Welcome back to the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Outstanding. We finally got a little break in the weather. We've we've had this heat wave in Southern California that has just been dreadful, and um, it's just it's just rough. So I uh, I'm very happy to see that now things are looks like we're even may get some rain by the end of the week. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. Rain in California. Yeah, I know. We're we're all doing our rain dance out here. You know what what will happen next? You never know. We need it, brother. I'll tell you. Hey, you know what's going to happen next is something that has never happened before. Yeah, after all these years. After all these years, you and I are going to be in the same place at the same time, and we're going to have a Mac Power Users meetup for our listeners. How yeah. cool is Isn't that? Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we kind of did meetups back in the Macworld days, but they were yeah, informal nothing, and small. Yeah, but, nothing really super formal, but um, yeah. this is cool. We should do, We should do this more often. Well, we should be in the same room more often. We really should. And and we're doing it at Disney World this time on my turf. So does that mean like the next one has to be at Disneyland? I would love to do one at Disneyland. I, I even own the, I own a domain called, um, was it Disney Mac Geeks? I, I bought it years ago and me and Adam Christensen did a kind of a meetup at um, Disneyland here. I don't know what to do with it. But uh, yeah, we'll get you out here one day and do one out here. But the uh, yeah, we're both going to be at Milo Fest in November. And we got several um, people calling in and uh, saying, hey, I'm going to be in Florida and Orlando area about the time you guys are there from Milo Fest. What's going on? So we decided, why not? Let's do a meetup. Yep. So we are going to put a link in the show notes with with the details. Um, but basically, here's the deal. It's going to be on Saturday, November 14th at 2 p.m. Uh, so mark your calendar, Saturday, November 14th at 2 p.m. And we're going to have it um, at the Big River Grill and Brewing Works. And that's on the Disney Boardwalk. Uh, it's near the Epcot property, but um, it's it's on the boardwalk. So it's you don't have to actually go in the park or anything like that. But the Disney Boardwalk is great. It's a nice place for families, lots of places to shop, hang out, to eat. Um, so we're going to do it at 2 o'clock so we can miss some of the crowds and still be able to take a, a nice group and things like that. Um, yeah, and that, that, yeah, and that way, if you've got something going on with your family that night, we don't have to take take you away. Just we're taking you away from lawn mowing time, not from family time. Exactly. But you're totally welcome to bring your kids. If you want to bring your your kids, your spouse, if you want to make a day of it at Disney and then hop out and come join us for some appetizers and some drinks, we'd we'd love to have you do that. It's going to be a very family, very uh, family friendly, very casual event. Um, all we ask is that we do need to get a head count. So we have actually set up an Eventbrite page. Uh, the tickets are free. We just want you to have a ticket and whoever you're bringing with you to have a ticket so that we know how many people are coming because we've got to give the restaurant a head count in advance. Um, so we'll put a link to the event bright page in the show notes. You can go, you can get a ticket, get a ticket for whoever's coming. I mean, don't get a ticket unless you're pretty sure that you're coming because we need to give a pretty accurate head count to the restaurant, but please, we'd, we'd love to have you come. Um, and we'd, we'd love to see you. David and I are going to chip in and, uh, buy some appetizers for the group. Um, you guys kind of buy your own beer and if you want anything more to eat, you can do that as well. Yeah, it's uh, we don't know whether to expect five people or 50, but it's going to be fun either way. I and think you and I are just going to be drinking in a bar alone by ourselves. Yeah, we're just going to get hammered. <laughs> 
And we're going to argue about Star Wars and Star Trek and <laughs> Disney World and Disneyland. Yeah. Maybe we'll bring a, a, a portable recorder and just put that out as a show. There you go. The, um, uh, also, for for those of you in the area, that is the very end of the Epcot Center's Food and Wine Festival. And oh, I know is it, after is it still going on? I didn't realize it was. It, yeah, so after we finish, I'm heading over to Epcot that afternoon and going to meet up with my family. We're going to be um, uh, doing more celebratory eating and drinking as we work our way around the countries. And so if that, that'd that be a nice, uh, if you have passes or if you've been meaning to hit to the Food and Wine Festival, you could come meet, meet and hang out with us first and then head over to the Food and Wine Festival. But the, the link is in the show notes. It's mpu2015meetup.eventbrite.com. Uh, please go sign up if you have any interest in this. And like we said, um, when you do sign up, it really helps us because we need to know if that that location is going to be the right size for us. And and we just need to know general idea how many people are coming. So so let us know. We'd love to see you there. Every time I do one of these events, I have so much fun. Our listeners are so smart and everybody ends up making friends. So uh, head out to uh, Epcot Center. Well, actually, it's not Epcot Center. It's the boardwalk. It's the boardwalk. Yeah. Yeah. On the 14th Under of the November. Boardwalk. Mm, no. I'll stop now. Wow. I think it took us six years to get Katie Floyd to sing on the show. Yeah, that's probably the last time it will happen. But it's cool. Note to editor. editor, Isolate that. I need it for a ringtone. Yeah. And uh, cool. Well, I hope to see you all there. And the boardwalk's a fun place. They've got lots of restaurants. They have ice cream, like a hand, hand, um, what's it called? Not hand churned, but hands, I don't know. Handmade ice cream. Well, I think it's an all ice cream. Hand isn't that special, you know. I can go get hand scooped ice cream out of my freezer. Robot scoop would be kind of cool. Ooh, that would be kind of cool. We'll work on that. All right. So what are we talking about today besides besides the Mac Power Users Meetup? Um, we are talking about optimizing your Macintosh computer. Uh, we, we have danced around the subject a little bit, but we've never really taken it on as a single topic. This is a great little self-contained episode to help you get the most out of your Mac. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, system preferences and tuning your Wi-Fi, third-party utilities, the cruft. We're going to go through the whole thing. So, so kind of uh, a. We, I mean, we touch a lot of this on various shows, but this is like you're saying this is the one-stop shop. This episode right here for optimizing yeah, your Mac. And frankly, we've got a lot. We've got some quite a bit of new material in here too. That you know, because when we touch on it, we never really go to it in any depth. And this is our chance to go into as as depth. Yeah, we did a show like this recently for iOS, and I think people really liked it. So that was kind of the inspiration for this show. All right. So where do we start? Well, I think we've got to start in system preferences, because isn't that where you always went to go tweak things when uh, in the in the good old days in the control panels where you could turn on and off of your extensions and create all kinds of conflicts? No, yeah, the, uh, yeah. And isn't that always the fun thing when you get a new um, operating system that one of the very first things you want to do is just go look through the system preferences. Like if you if you haven't gone through the system preferences in El Capitan yet. Take a, take 10 minutes and just click through them because you're going to find some some settings in there that may be helpful to you that didn't exist before. I mean, this is the place they put them. Yeah. Um, and I've got, a you know, a couple that we're going to highlight, but I think you should. I think you should absolutely go through all of them. And, you know, let's just kind of go through the rows. Um, one of the ones, if you're just starting at the top row, desktop and screensaver. I have I'd like to have a new desktop background with every new Mac and every new operating system just because it makes you kind of feel like you've got a new Mac and you've got a new experience. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of fun. I must admit for a long time I was using the um the black linen background that was like several iOSs ago just because I couldn't decide and I wanted a very blank, very neutral background and a couple of people called me out on Twitter and said, "Really? That's your desktop background?" 
Yeah, I quite often I use like that when the, the operating system first comes out, I use the the one that they ship with it. Like right now, there's a couple really great Yosemite themed uh, photographs. And this has been really easy for me with Yosemite because as I've said in prior shows, I mean, I think Yosemite might be my favorite place in the world, if not definitely in the top five, you know. So I, I love going there and, and seeing these gorgeous shots of Yosemite. Um, on my desktop, my retina desktop, there's a, there's nothing wrong with that. So I've been using those a lot. Remember when they used to have the blue ones with the, the wavy lines through them, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and that was the, that was like the old, like around tiger kind of days. I mean, they, they've come a long way with this. The, the, the photography that, that Apple does with those built-in desktops is really nice. When they finally shipped El Capitan, they had kind of a wintry themed, um, a shot of a half dome. That's really nice. If you haven't noticed um, that one's in there, it's not the default, but it's a really pretty one. Um, but there's also some great websites out there with pictures of just about anything you can think of if you want or, to make it as your desktop. Or you can use your own pictures. I've got a rotation right now of pictures that I've taken on, you know, I have a kind of a best of folder with some of my favorite pictures that I've taken on various vacations of landscapes and things like that. And I set it to rotate every time I log in. Yeah. And then what about screen savers? Um. You know, I, I set one. I set one to have just a, a rotating pattern of photos. I don't use a screensaver that often just because, you know, my screensaver doesn't go on. Usually my display is set to sleep. But one of the things that I really like about using screensavers, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the security preference, is I basically like it as a security feature. I like to be able to quickly turn on a screensaver and know that as soon as my screensaver activates, my Mac is locked. Yeah. Um, and so you can go with either the screensaver or you can just turn off the screen. Um, there's a keyboard shortcut for that option, command eject. If you do that, that just turns your screen dark and you can set it. So that'll lock it as well. Um, with my retina iMac, I usually just use the keyboard shortcut to darken the screen because I like the idea of not lighting up these pixels when I'm not looking at them. Yeah. Have yeah. you noticed folks, so that, many pixels. that David can't say the word iMac without the word retina in front of it? I can't. I don't know if I ever will get over it. It's so gorgeous, Katie. I don't know. This week we had a a mutual friend of ours at Apple had a potential deal. I was trying to get you to get one because they're just so pretty. Yeah. Nope. I'm good. Yeah. Um, moving along in the, the system preferences, um, let's talk a little bit about the dock kind of while we're still on the on the desktop. And I am an extreme dock minimalist. I uh, I keep nothing in my dock except the current applications that are running. So one of the first things I do whenever I do a clean install is I pull everything out. Yeah, anything that you're not using. I know that's a big thing for you. You have like two items in your dock, right? Whatever I'm using is in my, well, there's the finder icon and there's the trash and then whatever I'm using is in my dock, whatever's currently open. It just, it helps me visually see what I've got going on and ooh, need to clean that up. I don't need all those apps open. Yeah, and, and Apple really does ship a lot of stuff in the dock. I mean, the Reminders app and the, you know, all this stuff. And I think that um, for for most new users, the reason they do is because they don't know how to find the applications otherwise. And uh, But for our Mac Power Users family, it, it probably isn't necessary to keep a, a fully populated dock. But before we finish that, can I rewind to the desktop real quick? Um, sure. I, pu- I put out on Twitter before we started the show, hey, what are your questions about maintenance? And Kelly asked, you know, our friend Kelly um, asked, what about this whole thing with all the um, the files on the desktop? Is that still a thing? And what she's referring to is for a long time, there was a big deal 
where the way the Mac managed the desktop, I mean, the desktop really is just a folder in the finder. Um, well, it's a special the, folder. Exactly. It's a special folder. So what happens if you put a million items on top of your desktop? Bad things happen. Yeah. It slows your Mac down. And uh, I was looking for some kind type of confirmation that this wasn't fixed with El Capitan. And I researched it for like 30 minutes and never got a, an answer. So I'm assuming that it, the problem still exists. Safe to um, assume now. Yeah. There's not. And th- this is one that this is a, a point of uh, contention in the Sparks house. My wife, uh, for some reason, likes to just put lots of stuff on her desk. So she puts so much stuff that they stack on top of each other. You know, have you introduced <laughs> her to this great app called Hazel that will automatically yeah. clean up your desktop yeah. for you? Did I, did, I, did I ever, you know, we've we've got granted we've got almost 300 shows. Have I ever shared the story about um uh, when I put everything on a folder on her desktop? Yeah, I think you have, but it's been a while. Just one more time. <laughs> this is my, one of my favorite, you know, you know, when you're married a long time, you have these weird stories. So it was just driving me nuts. I was working on her desktop. So I, I took all of her files on her desktop and I added a folder to her desktop and said, it says Daisy's desktop files. And I just put everything in that folder. So I didn't remove them from this. I just put them all in a folder uh, just for my own sanity when I was trying to work on her computer. <laughs> and, and she was working on something late at night. You know, my wife sometimes works late into the night. Um, and I had gone to bed and she woke me up out of sound sleep at like one in the morning. And I thought the house was burning down. And she just said, where are my files? What did you do to my computer? <laughs> and all I've done is move them into a folder. Anyway, um, that was kind of a waste of time, but it was a funny story. Um, yeah. the, the, uh, also on your desktop, uh, in addition to having a pretty picture, you probably want to get some kind of system in place to, to maintain what's on the desktop. Uh, a couple of ways to do that. And Katie's already mentioned one is hazel and uh, having a hazel rule to just automatically get something off your desktop is a, is a real convenient way to do it. You can, um, well, you know, one of the nice things to do is to have a place for that stuff to go. I have one called the action folder and I have a hazel rule that looks at my desktop at all times and says any file that's been on the desktop more than 24 hours, just move it into the action folder. And in my case, the action folder uh, is in Dropbox, but you could have it on transporter or iCloud or any one of the other cloud shared devices. And that way, not only is it off your desktop, it's available on your other computers and other devices as well. And that's a pretty simple rule to create. You know, if the file uh, exists for more than 24 hours, move to this location. And that's a nice way to keep everything clean and tidy. Um, or the other thing that you can do is if you really want quick access to certain things, you know, you can have a couple of folders like, uh, you know, a documents folder or, um, you know, if you're, uh, I, I don't know, pick pick your couple of folders. You know, if Daisy wanted to have access to certain types of folders and she wanted them on her desktop, well, maybe instead of putting them on the desktop desktop, maybe put them inside the documents folder, but put shortcuts to those folders in her doc. So they kind of look like they're on the desktop, but they're really living wherever they live in the documents folder and shortcuts to them are in the doc or in the finder sidebar. And so yeah. you can always get access to those documents quickly. Well, I am uh, in the name of marital harmony. You're I'm never just, touching it again. I'm staying away. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, so that there's something there you can do. Now, getting back to the dock itself, um, not only do you want to, I think it's a good idea to remove the extra stuff. And then when you look at the dock, you only see mainly the applications are, that are running. Uh, in my case, I believe there's a couple I, I have like, um, 
I no, you know what, Katie? I've I've fully adopted the Katie Floyd because I'm looking at here. I don't have any apps that don't have a dot next to them. Yep. Um, uh, the other thing you can do is I turn hiding on on my dock. If I'm not actively working in the dock, I don't want to see it. And I've also moved my dock over to the side of my screen. I don't like it at the bottom. But those are all things you can customize. You can customize the way your dock looks, where it lives. You know, left, right, bottom. You can't put it at the top though. And to do that, um, you can go into the in the preferences pane, or you can just right click on the little uh, vertical or horizontal line, depending on where your dock is, that's on the dock. And that opens up the settings where you can turn on or off magnification, um, put the position on the screen. Um, now, the side it makes more sense because the screens we have these days are all widescreen. You know, real right. estate up and down is probably more valuable than real estate side to side. However, if you're going to use hiding, there's a good argument to make that you should just keep it along the bottom of the screen because as you start to do these gestures and move things from one screen to the next, like for instance, I've been playing a lot more with the split screen in El Capitan and occasionally I want to drag something to the next screen over and when you've got a dock over there, it quite often gets hung up with the dock popping out when you pull it to the side of the screen. So, um, you know, choose your own poison there. But, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not doing a lot of that, putting it on the side of the screen is kind of nice. If you want to leave the dock exposed, you know, not hiding, I think it really should be on the side of the screen because then you get more space up and down. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about mission control. And I, I don't want to go too deep into this because we just spent a lot of time talking about it um, in our El Capitan episode. But there's a lot that you can do within system preferences to modify mission control, especially if you use a mouse or a mouse like that fancy multi-button mouse that you returned, David. Um, because inside the mission control preference pane, there are options where you can configure all of your multiple mouse buttons to um, to control different aspects of mission control, whether it be to invoke mission control, to show application windows, to show show the desktop, to show the dashboard. Yes, it still exists. Yeah. And you don't have to use a fancy mouse. You can also do it with a trackpad if you're a trackpad person like me. So, in fact, I think it's easier on the trackpad because Apple's already built in all that support and they've got nice little videos. It's a, I think it's the only place in the system preferences where they have instructional videos uh, with all the multi-touch gesture support for the trackpad. If you go to that um, that setting or that preference, you'll get to see videos showing you, well, what does it mean if it's touch to tap or flick to go to mission control? And that's another place to go spend five minutes. If if you feel like you could be getting more out of your trackpad, uh, just watch those videos and, and pick the ones that you like and turn them on and, and see how they go. I would recommend that you don't turn them all on. You turn them on one or two at a time and get used to those. And then this, you know, eventually go back and add the rest. Um, so what are your settings with respect to mission control? I kind of went over it recently on, on, I believe it was the El Cap show where I talked about how I use the four finger flick and I got rid of the super mouse because I was okay with the trackpad, but we never got into how you do it, Katie. Um, I have my mouse configured for mission control. I don't have quite as fancy of a mouse as you do, but I have a Logitech Performance MX, which has a right click, a left click, a ball that clicks or a scroll wheel that clicks, a click behind the ball, um, a left and a right button on the side, and then a zoom button on the side. And I don't, I, every time I go to set up this mouse, I don't remember which numbers are which I should probably like write myself a little note, but I always have to do it via trial and error to figure out which buttons are which. 
and which ones zoom, the ones that I want. So I've got one button set to, it's my top left button sets to invoke, or my top thumb button sets to invoke mission control. And then my bottom thumb button shows me all the application windows. And then the other little button shows me the desktop. So I've got those all configured the way I want. So just to, as I'm just kind of trying to close my eyes and visualize it, you press a mouse button and it invokes mission control. Then you use the arrow key on the mouse or the arrow with the mouse to select and click the desktop that you want. Uh, you can, or you can just arrow over on the keyboard, depending on what you want to do. Yeah. And then now are you using another question, you know, because you podcast with a narcissist, I don't think we got to this with you. Are you using split screen much? You know, I have tried split screen on a couple of occasions, but I have found that several of my applications that I want to use in split screen still don't support it. Yeah. Like my current version of Microsoft Office, which... I'm I'm getting ready to upgrade, but my the current one that I'm using because I know there have been some issues with 2015, which or 16, which I think they've got the fix out for. Um, but 2011 doesn't support split screen. Well, now you got me curious. Does does the 2015 version support it? I, I don't know. I'll tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. So uh, does not. Yep. There you go. Shocker. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, don't hold your breath. But I'm like, well, I got it here. I might as well find out. Um, okay. And what about, well, and you're mainly working on a laptop because like for me, split screen is a big deal on the iMac with the big screen and on the laptop, I'm generally using full screen stuff for that. And the full screen mission control stuff, I think is just dandy. It's great. When you got a little screen, you want to switch between apps. Okay. Um, but you said we can't talk about this too much. So I'm going to stop that stop that nonsense right now. Why don't we take a break and talk about a sponsor? And then when we return, let's talk about um, priming up security and privacy. Yeah. And I actually want to talk and welcome a new sponsor to Mac Power Users. So this episode is brought to you by Harvest. And then Harvest has a, a, a product that is very near and dear to my heart um, as someone who has to keep track of their time because that is how I make a living. So if you are a freelancer, um, if you're an attorney, if you're part of a team, if you are someone who has to do client work, then you know how tricky and annoying it can be to track your time. And I've got to tell you, this is my least favorite thing about what I do. I mean, they should have classes in law school about how important it is to track your time and send out invoices. But, you know, it's a necessary evil because if you don't do it, you don't get paid. And I just wish there was an easier way to do it. And you know what? There is, and it's Harvest. Harvest lets you track exactly how much time you're spending on all of your projects. And you can do this from the web. You can do it from your phone. Did you know that you can even do it from your watch? Because you've always got your watch with you, right? Harvest has got a great timing tracking app that's available for you no matter where you are, how you're working, to make sure that you capture all of your time. Because if you lose that time, then you're just going to go ahead and lose that money. And when it comes time to billing your clients, and we used to lose days billing clients, Harvest lets you keep... uh, track of all of those tracked hours and then easily generate and send beautiful invoices. The invoices look good. They can even be customized with your own logo to make sure that it looks and feels professional because people, I think, feel better about sending an invoice or paying an invoice that looks nice. And then once you send an invoice out, you obviously want to be paid as quickly as possible. And Harvest is going to integrate with PayPal and Stripe so you can accept online payments and get paid faster because 
you certainly want to make it easy for your clients to pay you. Um, they feature multi-currency support just in case you happen to be billing all overseas. Um, they can send out automated invoices in case you need to send the same thing over and over again so you don't have to keep track of it. Um, they've really built a full package for people who want to track time and get paid. And you can do this with amazing apps that are a pleasure to work with. So um, you can get more information over at getharvest.com. That's G-E-T-H-A-R-V-E-S-T.com. Go to create an account. The first month is free. It's on us. It's actually on them, not us. But the first month is free. And then you can save 50% off your next month by entering coupon code MPU at checkout. So thanks so much to Harvest for their kind support of Mac Power users and all of the great shows over at Relay FM. We, um, uh, the security and privacy pane and preferences, uh, there's a couple things going on in there. And one of the first ones that I always like to check off when I'm helping somebody optimize their system is I go in and turn on file vault for them and yes. uh, file vault, yeah, file vault is a system level encryption. And uh, particularly if you're carrying a laptop around, um, and let's set aside for the fact a moment that you and I are lawyers. So we've got client data on there. We obviously want to have things very secure. But even if you've just got your own personal information on there, File Vault makes a lot of sense. You know, and File Vault had a bad name, and that was bad because, you know, File Vault had this reputation of being difficult to use. It was not the most user friendly. And then it used to keep everything in like this big sparse bundle and it was difficult to back up. And people people used to know File Vault as this thing that you had to work around, that there were compromises associated with File Vault. And, oh yeah, don't I have to do something fancy when I back up? I can't use my backup program the way that I want to when I incorporate File Vault. And it has been years now since that was the case. So let me just clarify, that's not true anymore. None of that is true anymore. File Vault 2 has come out. It has totally changed. The disk is encrypted when you log out and unencrypted when you log in. And someone's going to email me and tell me that that's not technically true. But but for purposes of this explanation, it's it's close enough. And um, that's the beauty of, of File Vault 2 is that none of that those things matter. You don't have to worry about, is this going to work with my backup program? You don't have to worry about, do I have to do anything special? You know, I really wish they'd almost changed the name of File Vault when they made such a radical change with it. Yeah, when it when it first came out, I felt like they were doing a disservice by keeping the same name because the older version had a bad reputation. And the technology older system was just more... Um, it was harder on the computer. It was harder on the hard drive. It was just all around worse. But now it's the system level encryption. I used to pay $200 a year to a service to do system level encryption on my, my computer because I wanted to have that on my laptop because of my, my legal stuff. And now I just get it for free in the operating system. And I'll tell you, as time goes on, I'm not so hung up on the fact that the old file vault was bad because most people, in fact, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this just heard for the first time that the old file vault was bad. They, they don't even know. Uh, uh, it's good now. So turn it on. Um, and every time this comes up, um, I kind of say, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't want it. And somebody writes in with one or two reasons why, like they'll say, well, maybe it's like it, they're keeping it at their house and they don't want to have, you know, the encryption keep them from getting in when they log in remotely or, you know, th there's a couple like edge cases, but yeah, like general, if you're using it as a server and it loses power and it reboots and things like that. Yeah. In general, however, um, it's an outstanding idea, especially with a laptop you're carrying out of the house. But honestly, I, I encrypt my, my iMac and my laptop. Um, when you do it, it all happens in the background. You don't even have to think about it. 
Um, I've encrypted my, my wife and kids computers and anybody who will let me near their computer that wants me to help them set up with their Mac, I'll just turn it on. Um, okay. And security. So that file vault is a good thing. I guess that's the takeaway. Uh, yep. What about firewalls? I turn on the firewall. Uh, I've re- I've had very, very few instances where the firewall has conflicted with anything such that I've had to turn it off or go in and make an exception. I tend to turn it on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's another thing that has evolved. When they first started it, it was a little too strict. And over time, it's got much better. It it kind of interacts with the operating system. It punches holes where it thinks it needs them. And um, and I uh, I have in general found that the firewall is much better performing than it used to be. Um, and then the big one, which we referred to earlier when we talk about the desktop and screensaver, is you want to have it um, require a password when it wakes up. And I do that for both my my Mac at home and my laptop. And uh, I'm perfectly happy to have to type in that password. Although every time I do it, I'm conscious of the fact that it doesn't have Touch ID. And how much would it be great if we could incorporate Touch ID into our Macs? Well, you know, there's that new trackpad, that trackpad 2 coming out. So we'll see. I don't know if it'll have Touch ID in it or not. Probably not because it has to have that secure enclave. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen, but it would be nice. But but yeah, turn that on. Just turn it on. And then uh, something I know we've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating is, and I believe this was a couple operating systems ago, they added this feature where you can add a message to the lock screen. So you just say, hey, if lost, you know, call Sparky at this phone number and I'll give you a reward and you'll get good karma and all those other things. So it's a great way to put a message on your computer. So if someone picks it up and they turn it on, even without having your password, they're going to find out who the owner is and how to get a message to them. Yeah. Or if someone steals your computer and then tries to sell it to some poor unsuspecting victim, they're going to see uh, this computer does not belong to the person you think it belongs to. Yeah. I still think it's a good idea to put a sticker on the bottom of a Mac. You know, I don't yeah. do it to my phones and iPads, but you know, just get a label maker and print a sticker out with your name and phone number and just slap it on the bottom. I just put a but, return address label on it. And then I guess I, yeah. and that, I guess that doesn't help with your phone number, but. Yeah. Okay. Uh, security and privacy check. Uh, other things you want to tweak. Uh, oh, I notifications. Think, I just did yeah, it noti- with a clean install of, um, of El Capitan. Notifications were out of control. Yeah. It seems like it turns a lot of stuff on by default. Um, uh, and, I, and that that's, that can get bad. I tend to be very, very restrictive with my notifications. Um, I, I go in and my default is, is nope, you can't, you can't give me a banner. No, you can't give me um, anything in, um, in Notification Center. In fact, I really don't use Notification Center that often. I don't find it particularly I, useful. One of the things I like, about, I, I use it for, uh, for instance, I have when Hazel properly runs a rule and files something for me, it, it throws a notification at me because I'm, I'm depending on Hazel to do the job right. And uh, I like to know that that happened. Um, I had some exports I was doing in ScreenFlow the other day, and I got notifications for that. When when Katie Floyd texts me and says something, um, I make sure that I get a notification for that as well. Uh, like I just got one while we we're doing the show. Yes, that said you're making noise over there. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out, Katie. Yeah, David's uh, David's got I, a fancy new microphone set up. Everybody, he's he's got like a mute switch on the floor, and he's got new cables running everywhere. He's he's really gone high tech very quickly. I'm not I'm not messing around, but I think I have a an issue with my headphone cord because it's got an adapter attached to it, and I think mm. if I jiggle my head, it's it's causing a little short. So stay very have, very still. 
I can't. I jump. I actually podcast with my hands. If that makes any sense, I'm like waving my hands around like an insane person in this in this empty room. <laughs> but yeah, I will. Uh, I will get a, a new cord or something between now and the next show. But uh, either way. Uh, so getting back to notifications, I think they're kind of helpful. One of the nice things with El Capitan is that it sorts them by day instead of just putting grouping them by application. So it's a lot easier to to dismiss a big group of them. Um, and uh, you know. You know, we we I think we've talked about it before. In the case of notifications, less is more. Um, note that when you're in that notification sidebar, you have the ability to turn on do not disturb, which is a good thing if you're ever using your computer in front of a group of people. But I, I got that's another thing that got me in trouble once. I was doing a um a presentation, and I was using um one of those applications that allow you to to play your phone over your Mac over the air. So it didn't realize it was connected to a projector. Mm. And my wife started texting me in front of a group of like 300 people. It was just, it was just great. So uh, yeah, notifications, be careful. But I think the more interesting question is extensions. I think that's something uh, that you can really spend some time tweaking your Mac over. Yeah. Extensions are new and it, they can sneak up on you because if a developer adds an extension, you you may not necessarily know about it unless you go into Extension Center and tweak it. Yeah, and that's one of the, it's just the extension opposite center. Of the extension preference pane, I guess, is what it's called. Yeah, it, well, it's confusing. I call them to Today View widgets because they're under the Today View. It doesn't say extensions. Well, but they're and, they're more than Today View widgets because if you go into the extensions yeah. preference pane, you're going to get actions, you're going to get yeah. Finder extensions, and you're going to get Share View extensions as well as the Today View widgets. That's a good point. Well, let's start with Today View widgets and work our way down the list then. Um, so to access the Today View widgets, you click on the Notification Center button in the upper right corner of your menu bar, or you just swipe in with two fingers from the right of the screen, and uh, then you'll see what's there. But just the opposite of notifications, it doesn't auto-populate as you install apps. Instead, the way it works is you're able to um, to to install them. There's a little edit button at the bottom of the screen, and then you see the applications that have Today View widgets or extensions that are available to you. And uh, you get to pick and choose those. There's a little plus sign. And as soon as you press the plus sign, it swipes over to the left column. And then it's in your today view. You can reorganize them. It's got a, a you know, it's got the little hamburger button there. The three, uh, was it uh, horizontal lines? Horizontal, right? Yes, horizontal. And yes. you can click and drag those and pull them up and down. I find this tremendously useful. It started out with, uh, I believe, Yosemite. I think it's got much better with El Capitan. Yeah. And then if you move on into the share menu, that's probably the one that you're most familiar with. And that will allow you to do things like quickly mail something, post something to Twitter or Facebook, send something in iMessages. And then third-party developers like Evernote or OmniFocus um, or some of the other developers have added uh, extensions so that you can now send things to third-party apps. And so when a developer of a third-party app that you've picked up from the Mac App Store... And I believe that is the thing is it has to, oh, no, I guess not because I didn't get OmniFocus from the Mac App Store. But when a third-party app has built in extensions support, you've got to go into extensions to turn it on. So it's kind of like a little yes. present sitting there for you if you haven't looked recently. Yeah, and some of them are very good, like the Pocket one in Yosemite uh, Safari or El Capitan Safari is really great. So I see an article, I hit the Pocket uh, extension, and off it goes. Um, on the Today View widgets, which ones made the cut for you? Um, a lot of them, actually. I, I use the OmniFocus Today view widget 
I use the deliveries okay. app widget as a today view widget. Um, and then I don't really know. I use the Fantastical one instead of the calendar app, but I'm not real sure why. I like the way it displays data better. The Fantastical one just gives you a list of events. Um, it's easier to read. Yeah. I think it's better. Um, the um, With OmniFocus, I just use my hot list in there. So it's just showing me things that are flagged or due soon or overdue. So it's just a quick way to get access to the things that may blow up if I don't do something. And um, as as the dad, um, the Find My Friends Today View widget and El Capitan is almost worth the price of admission for the whole operating system. It's just well, so handy. Price being free. Well, you want know to mean that just the, the hassle of installing it um, because it is so handy. I'm two swipes, you know, just two swipes on the right side of the screen away from knowing where everybody in my family is. Cause I'm at my computer often, you know, I, I have a day job and I do Max Barkey stuff and I can know exactly where everybody is. Just swipe over it. it you know, it was easy before when I could open up to find my friends app on the phone or the iPad, but it's even easier now if I'm sitting at my Mac and I can get it that way. I also use the world clock because I'm always scheduling things with people all over the world. And uh, there's one here that I like called iStat Mini. And we're going to talk about iStat later with some of the other uh, products they have. But the iStat Mini is just a, an app that invo- installs a Today View widget that just shows you CPU, memory, and disk usage, and also shows network speed. And it just drops into your Today View, and I find that a real convenient place to kind of keep an eye on things. Yeah, if you don't want to see it all the time in your menu bar, that's nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so extensions, and uh, that's a that's a, a rich area for, for uh, customizing and optimizing your Mac. I think our extensions are something, if you haven't gone there, you should look at it pretty seriously. Um, uh, other changes that I do is I always um, go in and I tweak my energy saver preferences. One thing specifically that I do is I turn on PowerNap, especially uh, with laptops now having much better battery life. I make sure that PowerNap is turned on when my Mac is on battery power because my Mac may be on battery power now more often. And what that does is it occasionally wakes your Mac up from sleep, whether it's on battery power or it will do it by default when it's plugged in. So you can turn that on for battery power or not. Um, and it will occasionally do things like go out to the internet, check your mail. If the mail.app is open, it will create, you know, go make time machine backups and just do, you know, just a little nice sip on the internet, update all your stuff and then go back to sleep. Yeah. And then for when you're on the, the iMac or the stationary computer, um, the tweak I make is the anti-green tweak. I don't turn it where it goes to sleep. I turn it so it turns off the screen very quickly. But I like to have the computer running in the background, the iMac. And that allows it to do all those background services it's running for me and, and keep connected. Yeah. So uh, It just depends if you're plugged in or not, really. I mean, if you, but with a laptop, you want to you wanna be pretty um, con, uh, liberal with those settings so it you know it saves your battery life whenever it can. Yeah. Um, We've still Before got to move on. Yeah, we've got yeah. a few more to go. We haven't we haven't made it through the system preferences yet. Yeah, but I think hopefully there's some good information for you. But uh, before we go on, I, I do want to talk about our next sponsor, and that's our friends over at Automatic. And Automatic is this great little device. It's a connected car adapter, and it plugs into the car's diagnostic port. And just about every car that's made since 1996 has one of these. And I, I was sold on this before they became a sponsor. I, I First, I bought one for me. Then I bought one for my wife and daughter. And I had like the dad's dream come true just a few weeks ago where my my 18-year-old walks up to me and says, hey, dad, um, there's a problem with my car. I got a note on my phone saying that there's a, you know, there's a, a problem. 
you know, and I'm certain that if, you know, she was dependent on looking at a dashboard light or something, I never would have heard about that. And certainly there was, I took another mechanic, we got it fixed up, but automatic, the reason she knew there was a problem was because I had installed the automatic application on her car. See, I believe and, you that that's true. It just baffles me that the fact that it bothered her was that it was on the phone and not a blinking light on her dashboard. Well, that's her life. That's her life. You know, I mean, that's, and the car is old. I mean, I I think the dashboard notification was pretty rudimentary. I'm not sure she would have even realized it was there. Um, but, you know, she's on her phone all the time. And, you know, there's there's more for it for me. I like it gives me her mileage. I mean, we were dealing with her insurance because now she's driving to school and we we're figuring out, well, what is her true mileage when we're you know, we've got to you got to tell the insurance company how many miles they're driving. Well, now we can figure that out because we've got the automatic installed and it's got crash detection, which is. As a dad, another like dream feature, if well, or maybe a nightmare feature, but you know, if there's a problem with her car, there's an accident, it knows that someone at automatic will call me. And this isn't a prescription. I'm sorry, this is not a subscription service. Uh, when you buy the automatic, that just comes with it, and someone will call me, and they, they they also call her mother. I've got three phone numbers listed in there, so it's a great way to um to kind of be safer. Uh, and that's just some of the features you get from this automatic device. When you get it, you, you plug it in your car. If you're a nerd like me, it gives you a whole bunch more. It has trip logging and it has, has a really fantastic application and native app from the browser. So I can see the exact distance I drove for any trip. Um, it, it ties into the watch. So when I finish a trip, it'll say, hey, was that a business trip? And if I just push my wrist, you know, like like um, some guy out of the future, it automatically tags that trip as a business related trip. And then I've got that a separate list. So when I'm doing taxes and all the other stuff that involves write-offs and figuring out mileage for trips, I've got that done for me already. Uh, it's just a wonderful, just little device to make your dumb car really smart. And these guys at automatic keep making it better and better. They're adding features for specific makes and models of cars. I like some of the Ford cars you can trigger Siri through the automatic using diagnostic port. It's just, it's, it's crazy what they've done. There's third party applications that are tying into it. So you can turn your smartphone into like one of those gauge sets of gauges, you know, six or seven gauges, giving you tons of information about your engine while you're driving. Uh, they connect to things like FreshBooks and Sherpa share for tax savings and ride sharing. It connects to if this, then that. So when you leave your house, the automatic knows and it can turn off the air conditioner or do other rules that it does with if this, then that. And it connects with your nest. It, there's just so much. They've got this whole thing called license. Plus when you have a new driver, I have a second daughter. She's going to be driving in a couple of years and I'm definitely hooking this up and it does coaching for them. Telling them, you know, it looks critically at the way they drive. Like if they accelerate too much or brake too hard, it lets them know. Uh, and you get all this for ninety nine ninety five one time, no subscription fees. You just plug it in your car and then you start hooking it up. Um, but we can do better than that. We can get you 20% off for just $80. You can get this device. Go to automatic.com slash Mac power. And uh, once again, automatic.com slash Mac power. It ships in two business days. There's a 45 day return policy if you're not convinced and it's free shipping. So check it out. We're really happy to have automatic as a sponsor. And as a dad, I'm really happy that it's in my daughter's car. So thanks automatic. And um, let's move on with this outline, Katie Floyd. All right. Um, keyboard. 
there is a lot of stuff hidden inside the keyboard system preference pane. Um, one thing that I think might be new with El Capitan, because I've never seen it before, but maybe I just missed it until I went and did a really thorough examination for this show, is the ability to turn off the backlit keyboard when it's not in use. And this is great because many times I leave my Mac on and sometimes I even set it not to sleep because I'm doing something like an off-site backup and I, I don't want it to go to sleep. But I really feel bad about using... I, you know, I don't want all the stuff lit up at night, so I don't want to see that backlit keyboard lit up. So I, you know, turn all my screen down and I turn the backlit keyboard down. But there's an option in the keyboard settings to turn off that backlit keyboard when it's not used for, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes or something like that. So I've activated that. Um, I, I wasn't aware of that feature either. When I saw you had put it in the outline, I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. So um, that's interesting to know. And I wonder if that's sensitive to whether it's on a... Um, a computer with a backlit or not keyboard. Like my iMac doesn't have a backlit keyboard. I, but I it might with a new keyboard coming soon. Never yeah, know. it might. Um, um, another thing yeah, for big, automation. Big things with automation you, here, which is surprising yeah, well, for keyboards. <laughs> well, like one of them is you can put in application automation and, um, you know, a menu bar type commands in through keyboard shortcuts. And we've talked about this on the show. I've written about it at Max Barkey. One of my favorites is the command P trick where um, you've got a command when you hit the, the print dialog to save as PDF, which is a real um, useful uh, keyboard shortcut, which is a very useful command. Uh, I, I tied it to a keyboard shortcut command P and it, it, it fires off the command save as PDF with an ellipses after it. And that way I can save something as a PDF with just two keystrokes instead of having to go through and click a bunch of menu items. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I did a little screencast on it, but just think about all the commands you do. And I don't know, maybe you use logic or maybe you use final cut or maybe you use Microsoft word, or there's some application you use where you find yourself digging through the menus. Often uh, you can attach those to keyboard shortcuts if you want. And uh, if you watch that video, I did, that'll show you how to do it. And I strongly recommend starting the creation of that list. Yeah. Um, That's one of the downsides of the nuke and pay, frankly, is I usually lose my keyboard shortcuts. I have to recreate all those. There's no way to kind of just easily save and restore keyboard shortcuts. Yeah. The, the other thing that's, that's in there um, is text shortcuts that you had this ability on the iPhone for a while to create little text shortcuts where you type a couple of words and it expands into longer segments of text. I made the mistake of putting a few of these in and I will tell you, I, even with Yosemite now, or I'm sorry, El Capitan now, I can't get rid of them. It's like, these are like, once you put them in, they never go away. That's because it's, it's propagating throughout all your devices. And the, the, whoever wrote that code probably said, well, we'd rather them not to lose it than to accidentally lose it. So you'd probably have to delete it. Like you'd have to have your phone and I've iPad and your Mac sitting everywhere. next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just depends. Like that's something like we, we talk often about text expander, which is like a, um, it's that, it's that service times 10 basically, but for real basic stuff, especially back when there weren't third party keyboards in iOS and you wanted to get some of those things on your iOS devices, that was a good reason to, to add some of those features but I don't use it too much anymore either because it just really isn't that relevant anymore for me. Uh, okay. Um, you want to talk about the app store? 
Yeah, you know the the App Store is now where the, the App Store is the new system software update, and the App Store is where you go now to get all of your updates. So uh, this may be a little bit controversial, but I automatically do all of my updates. I it's it has been since ten point two point eight since I've had a problem with an OS ten software update. And I figure that's long enough and it's happened rarely enough. I'm probably not going to have a problem. So I I go through and I say, yes, go ahead and automatically check and update software. Not necessarily yeah. sure that's the best thing to do, but I do it. The, the downside of that is that if they have an update come out that has a problem with it and it automatically installs, that could be an issue. The other downside, which is not really an issue because usually you have to push the button before like a 0.1 upgrade to the the operating system, even though it does the download. Um, uh, the other downside, though, is if you have an app you really like and they issue an update that makes it worse, which which happens sometimes, you know, a developer just goes off in the wrong direction. It's like I'm, I'm you know, I am hesitant to install Skype updates, although that's not through the app store. That's through the web. Because a lot of times Skype feels to me like it gets worse after I update it than better. Um, but uh, there you have it. Uh, so there's a few settings you can do there. Um, one of the the uh, settings that I wanted to talk about is the user panel in the settings. And in particular, the login items. And I know we've mentioned this, but it's been probably over a year since we went there. Um, if you go to the user system preferences, let me just open it on my screen so I don't talk myself into a problem here. Um, there is a setting you can pick uh, in the left column each user, and then you can click on the login items. And if you go to login items, you'll see that there's a bunch of stuff listed there. Like, for instance, I have Google uh, Chrome listed, and what? I don't know why that's there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how did that happen? Uh, so I've been using it lately because I had to do some kind of fairly detailed Google Doc stuff, so I had to use Chrome. But it must have also given itself... Um, preference or maybe I click something without realizing it to allow Google to automatically load. So I've just selected that and I'm going to click the little negative button and off it goes. It's no longer there. Um, so take a look through that and see if you've got any stragglers in there that don't belong. And uh, that's a good way to, to clean up your system. Yeah. One thing to be careful of is in order to remove something from that list and therefore keep it from launching at startup, you actually have to click on it and then click the minus button. A lot of people think that um, checking the checkbox and deselecting the checkbox is what removes it from the login, but it's not. If you read the fine print there, uh, the checkbox and the whether it's checked or unchecked is whether it's hidden or not when it launches. So, yeah. 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 Which is funny because then you because if you uncheck the box and it's hidden when it launches, you think that you you did solve the problem. You know, you, you're under the illusion that it's not loading more because you don't see it. But in fact, it's still there. Yeah. Um, and then you had a question from, um, or, or rather a tip from listener Ron about temperature management. And I had an issue where, where this came in handy because my Mac mini all of a sudden stopped, well, stopped turning on. It, it, it would turn on and then I would think that everything was fine. And then I would come back like a couple of hours later and it would be off. And I would say, huh. I don't remember turning my Mac mini off. Maybe there was a software update or something and it restarted. So I'd mosey on over and I'd turn it back on again. And then I'd come back like a few hours later and it would be off again. And and finally, it I nailed it down to the fact that um, the Mac was overheating. 
And it turned out that it was a fan problem, that the fan in the Mac Mini had had failed. And the reason that I discovered this is I used a third-party app to watch the temperatures and then to also realize that the fan in the Mac Mini was not running. And so it was pretty easy to diagnose, a little bit more difficult to fix. It required getting out um, putty knives, but it's fixed now. Yeah. (laughs) So I think temperature is one of those things. I don't think you should constantly be worried about it. Um, the Macs are very uh, thermal resistant these days, and they engineer them. In fact, my MacBook um, doesn't even have a fan in it. But you should be aware of what your c- computer does and where it has trouble. Like I was the other day using Handbrake to rip some some family videos so I could put them on the iPads, and and the fan spun up, and the computer was getting hot, and it was getting loud. But I knew that because every time I run Handbrake, it it really, that's an application that pushes the processing limit of the computer. CPU gets hot and it starts cooling itself off like it's supposed to. In fact, if I'm running Handbrake and the fans don't spin up is a time that I would be worried that I know the CPU is getting hot and how come the fans aren't doing something to cool them off? Um, Because that's, you know, when you melt your your motherboard or your logic board and that gets really expensive. So I think the the trick with temperature is just kind of be aware of it. It wouldn't hurt to have an application running in your system that can show you your fan temperature, your fan speeds and your um, your temperatures or several um, thermometers. I guess is it a thermometer? Thermostat apps. No, no, I, the, I'm trying to figure out what they call the device that measures the temperature on the board. But on most Macs, there's a device on the board that measures the temperature in multiple places. Like it'll measure the temperature on the CPU, but it'll also measure the temperature on the graphics card. And so they've got multiple temperature ratings on the computer. It's probably not a bad idea to know what those general temperatures are when it's running normal. So, um, you know, when it's, you know, in the red Um there's several applications that you can get to do this. Um, one of them is one we talked about quite often is the iStat menu application, which is kind of the the optimizer's dream app. You know, it puts all this data in your menu bar that, you know, the temperature, the fan speeds, the hard drive you t- use. I mean, there's just so much you can do with it. I know that application needed to get an update for El Capitan because of the new security implemented with El Capitan. They have to kind of do quite a bit of work to get around that. And by getting around that, I mean work within the boundaries. <laughs> I didn't say that right. Um, but I don't know if that's out yet or if it'll be out by the time the show publishes. But iStat is a really great way to keep track of that information. Yeah. But all that being said, I don't really worry about fans too much unless I notice something out of the ordinary. If I'm working in a word processor and my fan is spinning, to me, that's a noticeable problem. It's like, why is it doing that? Or like I even like am aware of that with the 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 Macs in my family. If my my daughter the other day was working in Pages and I could hear her fan across, Alex like sitting on the couch with her, and I could hear her, her fan from several feet away going. And I walked over and she had held it on her lap, but she had it like a blanket on her lap, and the blanket was blocking the ventilation. And the fan to me was like a warning. Hey, the computer's getting really hot. Why is it getting hot? And I went over there and I showed her that she needs to put it on a book or something hard. And the fan immediately spun down and the computer cooled off. Yeah. Um, kind of related, but what about Wi-Fi? Because that's another common issue. Um, people want to fiddle with the Wi-Fi or if you have bad Wi-Fi signal, you know, what do you do to correct that? You know, Wi-Fi is kind of like a, a black magic trying to figure out how to get optimum Wi-Fi signal and what to do if you have bad Wi-Fi in an area. We, In fact, we well, did, we've done a, two whole shows now 
on optimizing your network. We can put links to those in the show notes. Yeah, I agree. But kind of the short version of it is, um, you know, optimizing your computer includes optimizing its internet speed. And if you've got it plugged in through a cable to, you know, your router, you're always going to have pretty good connection speed. However, most people don't do that. Most people are connected through Wi-Fi these days. And there's some real simple things you can do. And like I said, go, if you want to go listen to those whole shows, you'll get good information. We even had guests on some of those that were really knowledgeable. But I use an app called Wi-Fi Explorer. I think it's like, I looked it up, it's $15 now. I think I even got it, it was cheaper when they first put it on sale. And I know there's others, but a Wi-Fi Explorer, I noticed today had 25 star reviews and no nothing below five stars. So I think it's still a pretty good app. They do a really good job of graphically demonstrating your, your Wi-Fi traffic. And one of the things they do that's really great is they have this thing called channel view, which shows you all the traffic on various channels. So I like my neighbor has named their network after their last name and mine is named after my last name. So I can see that I'm on one channel and they're on a different channel We're we are not fighting over the same channel space, but I can see the neighbor like across the street and down two doors is on the same channel as me, but they're far enough away that I don't really worry about it. Your, so that's the kind of information you get with Wi-Fi Explorer. Your network is named Sparks. I'm so disappointed. It's, well, actually, it's Sparmerica, if you want to come hack into the, the uh, system. You know, after, uh, it's an old Seinfeld joke, but uh, Sparmerica. I know. What am I supposed what, What's the name of your network? I'm not telling you. Oh, you, now you have to tell but me. But it's it's much more creative. Is it? Does it involve Star Trek? It might. <laughs> okay. Well, one day, Katie Floyd, you are going to tell us the name of your network. Maybe if people fact, guess, there could be like a prize for that. <laughs> I think that you, you know what? No, then we'll get a ton of if you you could tweet. I don't want a ton of email guessing though. I think well, I think you should disclose it at the uh, the Mac Power Users Meetup. Yeah, I'll disclose it at the Mac the Power Users out. Meetup. How's that? There we go. An incentive to come. <laughs> um, so. uh, the other thing you can do is is uh, well, you had mentioned. Want you to explain the options? Yeah, the other thing is if you don't want to get a dedicated app, there's a lot more that you can do by holding down the option key and then clicking on any of the standard Apple menu bar apps. And if you hold down the option key and click on the um, the Wi-Fi menu bar app. Um, you're going to see a lot more options in there, including the network that you're connected to, what your IP address is, what the IP address is of your router is, um, what kind of security you've got, what channel you're on. Um, and then you'll also see other networks in, in your area and can get information on some of those networks as well. So, yeah, lots of information. Okay. Well, we got your Wi-Fi tuned. You got your... Um, your settings through all of system preferences. We still got more to cover here though. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about third party utilities and getting rid of the cruft. We got, we got more to cover, but why don't we take a moment to talk about a, a sponsor? Yeah. And then let's talk about our good sponsor, Squarespace. You know, uh, Squarespace has been with us for a long time and uh, you can take advantage of Squarespace by heading over to squarespace.com and entering offer code MPU at checkout. That will get you 10% off uh, your first purchase. And I am a big fan of Squarespace. In fact, I had a great Squarespace story this past week. Uh, we had a little kerfuffle at my my new law firm, and um, no website. The website they had an old website for the old law firm, and it wasn't getting updated. And some guy did it a while ago, and nobody quite knows what the story is or where the guy is. And maybe someone can call him, or maybe we can email him, or maybe we've got an address for him. Um, and you know, the website was kind of yeah, and. Um, 
I kind of raised my hand and said, uh, excuse me, I have a suggestion. I have a thought. Um, and they're like, yeah, where are we going to find someone to do our website? And I said, hi, I, I, I can do that. And they're like, you can do that. And I said, yes, I, I, I have skills in, in certain other areas. And so I did a Squarespace site. I was able to put up, you know, almost like a 15 to 20 page Squarespace site talking all about our firm, all about our practice areas. I actually used some info, not your info, but some, I showed them your site as, as inspiration, David, of what really good websites for attorneys can look like. And um, boom, less than a week later, we have got an amazing website. I think, I think it's amazing because I built it, but the, uh, the, everybody at the firm is just ooing and awing over this really cool website that we have. And, um, I, I must admit that I haven't quite told them exactly how easy it was. And it was something that I was able to build, um, a couple of evenings and weekends. Um, you know, the worst thing was, was putting together all the information that we had to write for the content for the site. The actual putting together the site itself was pretty easy because Squarespace has got this great template based system that allows you to build professionally looking websites, regardless of your skill level, no coding required. In fact, now that the site's done, I've gone through and I've given people a few tutorials of how to update it, because I don't want to be the person who's stuck updating it all the time. And I've given them tutorials of how they can go through the update their, the site. And they're like, wow, this is really easy. And I was like, well, don't discount all the work that I put into building this site. It, it wasn't that easy. But, you know, the reality is it it kind of was. Um, the Squarespace sites just look great. Um, they feel great. They are easy to make. Um, and when you run into help or you run into trouble and you need help, and I, I did have once or twice that I needed some help, there's always somebody there to help you. They've got 24-7 support with live chat and email. They've got teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are, are always there to help you. And the best part is their sites are always mobile optimized. So I didn't have to go and then build a separate site for the web and a separate site um, for iOS. I just built the site for the web. I made it look how I wanted it to look. And then I just pulled the site up on my phone and I said, hey, look, guys, I also built us a mobile optimized website. Isn't that cool? And, you know, the reality is, is I didn't do anything. It just worked. So um, you too can can be the hero if your organization needs a website. It's the web, It's the platform that I use for my personal site. I know David uses it as well. And, hey, now we use it at work too. So you can go check them out over at squarespace.com. You can get a free trial, no credit card required to start building your own website. And when you decide to buy, um, make sure you enter the offer code MPU. And you'll get 10% off your first purchase and let them know uh, that their support of Mac Power users is working. So thank you to Squarespace and don't forget to build it beautiful. I can just see everybody in this conference room, they're freaking out. There's no website. And Katie says, I have a particular set of skills. That's exactly what I said, David. I said, I have a very particular set of skills. And I think like <laughs> only one person got it. Um. You know, we've talked about a lot of the native Apple stuff, but I want to talk about some third party utilities in the mix here. Um, the one that we, we mentioned already is iStat menus. And um, that is on the verge of, if not already being released for El Capitan. But if yeah, it's out. I'm using it. Give that. Oh, is it? Great. Um, I haven't used it that much because I've got the iStat menu extension, but I, I think the iStat menus is a superior in terms of giving you a lot more information about a lot more stuff. I just haven't bothered to set it up at this point. And I have a license. So at some point I'll have to hook it up. Um, you want to talk about some of the things we can do with Time Machine using third-party utilities? Yeah, I found this great uh, utility and it's free called Time Machine Editor. And this is something that you could probably do in the terminal. In fact, I know you can. Uh, I, I just, I prefer to use a GUI to do it. And I like Time Machine. I use Time Machine to back up to my Drobo. But 
I never really liked the fact that Time Machine backed up every single hour. It was in, it's not so much an issue now with the Drobo, but it was an issue with my time capsule and that it was a little slow. It was a little laggy. And I just thought that an hour was perhaps a little redundant. And isn't that weird? Me, Katie Floyd saying that my backups were happening too frequently. So yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah. What, what time machine editor is, is it's a, it's a little free utility that will allow you to change the intervals of your time machine backup. So instead of them happening by default, every hour, you can make them happen every three hours, every four hours, every six hours, you know, whatever you want. Um, or they've got something that just says when idle. And so it happens, you know, whatever, a couple of times a day when your machine is idle, which is a nice feature. I, I suspect, I don't know for a fact, but I suspect this app is just a front end, like a graphical user interface for some fancy terminal commands. Oh, yeah, it is. It totally is. Built in. Yeah. But it's, I don't know what the terminal commands are. I'm sure you could Google them and find them, but hey, it works. Yeah. The, um, one of the, you know, sometimes you recommend apps and you have mixed results. Some people like them, some people don't. Um, the one app that I have recommended that I don't think I've ever heard a single person unhappy with their purchase of it is bartender mm. and uh, when optimizing your mac bartender is really handy it's a simple application that does a really good job of managing all the stuff in your menu bar and it, it even adds a second line so you can like if you have a certain application that doesn't really need to be in your menu bar you don't need to see the icon all the time but you want to have access to it you can do that like for instance i use it with the dropbox i don't need to see dropbox icon in my menu bar all the time uh, so I put it in the bartender bar, which is the second one. And then you access it by clicking a button. And the um, the cool part is not only can you put it in the second bar and just say, stay there. You can also say, put it in the second bar. But if it becomes active, move it, move it to the top bar for a minute or five seconds or five minutes or whatever. And so when Dropbox gets active, then it shows up in my menu bar. And when it's inactive, it drops off the menu bar again. And it also does a really good job of letting you reorganize all of the menu bar items. You just hold down, I believe it's the option key, and then you just click and drag or the command key. I always forget. Um, but you can you can move them up and down. So if you want to have the time on the far left or the far right or whatever, you can do it with Bartender. And they just came out with a new version that adds some new features. It has keyboard navigation, so you can like move around them using just the keyboard. It's got search built in if you have a lot of them. And uh, got new paint because, you know, it looks more Yosemite slash El Capitan friendly now. And uh, it's just a great little application. It's 15 bucks and it's completely worth it. I, I agree. I bought, gonna, I bought the new bartender and I like it. Yeah. I'm sure and, you're loving the keyboard you, shortcuts. Yeah. And if you had the old one, if you bought the first version, the update's only like $7. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I think they even updated the money. old one. So it works for Yosemite now, which I thought was very nice. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, the developer, yeah, the developers. A it's a single person development, and the guy is super nice, and and he's really performed some magic with the way you can reorganize the icons. Because I never was able to reorganize like the Apple stuff. It seemed like you know certain things would reorganize and certain things wouldn't, and Bartender solves all of those problems. Yeah. Um, let's talk about all the junk on your computer because if you're optimizing, that's going to be a concern. 
Yeah. Um, One of the things that I like to do is I like to try to free up disk space. I don't like running my machine particularly full. And I've only got a 256 SSD. I will probably on the next machine that I buy go to 512. But candidly, 256 has never been a problem for me. I I always tend to run about 80 gigabytes free. So, But from time to time, it it can be a problem. One of the the first places that I look for um, duplicate files is I tend to find duplicate files sometimes in my photos library, especially if we've been on a trip and we've got lots of people who are sharing photos and they end up like sharing my photos that I shared with them back to me, or I've got, you know, I'm kind of doing the camera card swap and I've got multiple duplicates from different camera cards in my photo library. Like I noticed this problem when we went to the Grand Canyon recently is I ended up with a lot of duplicates from that trip in my photo library. And I really like the app Photo Sweeper um, for getting rid of duplicates in Photos Library. It also works with iPhoto if you happen to still be using iPhoto. Um, and I think it may also work with um, with Aperture. I'll have to check the description and let you know. But it's very reasonably priced. It's like, you know, I think there's a light version for like four bucks and a regular version for like nine bucks. Yeah, I am. Um... I agree. And, uh, you know, it's funny how you're saying you always have like 80 gigabytes free. You'll grow to your capacity. So if you buy your next computer with a 500 gigabyte hard drive, you'll still have about 80 gigabytes free. I don't know why that is, but it, it's always true. It's just if the you rule. get a terabyte, you'll get up to about 80 gigabytes free. Um, but on that note, if you're thinking about a new computer, um, I, I am a big fan of saying get a little bit more storage than you think you need, because especially with the new Macs, it's a big pain. It, it's possible, but it's not easy to increase the sizes of those internal drives. They're basically a drive on a chip, and uh, it's not like the old days where you can just yank the old one out and stick a new one in. You've got to really pull the computer apart to get to it. So so get a bigger drive, a little bigger than you think you need, but also use some of these tools. Um, one of the ones, and this is... Uh, uh, an old sponsor of ours, but once again, another app that I bought way before their sponsor and I still use long after their sponsor is Daisy Disk. And um, I just think it's a really attractive application for managing uh, your hard drive and it runs a scan on it. They recently got a nice update. It scans way faster than it ever did before. And um, it just does a really good job of scanning your disk and finding big files or big folders full of files and you find things in there that you never realized you had. Like I had, um, for a while when I was testing OmniFocus for something, I had set up a temporary folder that was keeping a backup of my database every time I closed the application to a special location. And I forgot it was there and forgot to turn it off. And there was like, you know, it was like, it was gigabytes and gigabytes of data in there that were just backups of my OmniFocus database going back like six months. So, you know, something like Daisy Disk will really help you hunt down those outliers and get rid of them. And in Daisy Disk, you can even delete it right in the application. Yeah. Um, another one that I um, use for uh, for things like that is I also use... Um, Omni Disk Sweeper. And I don't know that it's been updated recently, but it still works. I've tried it. But what that does is it will give you a hierarchical scan of your system. And so it kind of it will give you like an outline view because, you know, David, I love my outlines <laughs> that will yeah. give you an outline view of where everything is. Yeah. Um, one of the questions we got asked in the um, the Twitter account when we said we were going to do this show on Optizing the Mac is what about trim? Should I be worried about it? Should I be installing it? Um and I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, what is trim? Well, trim is a way to um, 
optimize your uh, solid state drive. Uh, you know, back in the days where we had spinning drives, defragmentation was the name of the game. You know, you wanted to defrag your drive, and we've talked about that on this show in the past. I mean, we've gone back many years. Um, uh, trim is kind of like defragging for SSD, but not really. Um, it's not the same procedure, but it, it's kind of the same concept in terms of making the, the device better for uh, storing data. Um, the problem is that your SSD is going to have free blocks of memory, and your computer's not exactly going to know where those are, and they don't communicate very well between them, so it, it runs into problems, conflicts, and delay with you know maximizing your SSD. And Trim is the system that fixes that. It goes through and figures out where the usable sectors are. It's very clever, and if it works, it makes your SSD experience better. Uh, so far, and uh, you know this is an evolving question, Apple has not been particularly friendly to third-party drives. Um, they have trim support, and I think it started in Yosemite for the drives they install in the computers. But Apple controls the whole widget there. They control the operating system. They control the drive. In fact, this is another argument to say get a bigger drive than you than you think you need because you know the trim support is going to work if Apple installed the drive. Um, there, you know, with El Capitan reading the the articles on the internet about this is you can get trim working with third party disks SSDs. Uh, but it's not necessarily easy, and I'm not convinced it's something I would want to do because um, it can cause issues, and you know you're you're on the hairy edge at that point. It's not just a simple built-in thing that Apple supports, and you throw a switch. Uh, so I would probably say trim support is a good thing, but it's not something I would try to screw up my computer for to get with a third-party drive. Yeah, and on I have third-party SSDs in many of my in, in two out of three of my Macs, I've got third-party SSDs. And I used to use a utility called Trim Enabler. And then when it no longer worked under Yosemite, it was disabled. And you know what? I didn't worry about it. And I really don't see a significant, I don't see any difference using Trim Enabler and now not using Trim Enabler. And 10.9.4 uh, Yosemite added support for third-party Trim where you could now add that. But then there were some reports of some problems with certain types of SSDs. And you know what? I just, I haven't worried about it. The odds are that I will keep a computer with an SSD long enough that I'm going to have trouble that Trim would have helped me or the fact that Trim would have helped me significantly enough for it to be worthwhile to risk any problems. I, I've chosen not to enable Trim on my third-party SSDs, and I, I feel pretty good about that decision. We'll see. I don't think this is something where Apple's trying to be hostile towards people that want to use third-party SSDs. No, I just, I just think, think they that they're not going to put their stamp on it if because they can't test everything. They can't test every possible third-party SSD to know that it's not yeah. going to be a problem. Yeah, and they don't want to be responsible if it if it you know wipes your drive or screws up your data. So they're just going to say no. If you get the stuff we sell you, we'll make sure it works, and otherwise you're on your own. So. Right. Uh, that's the story of trim right now. I suspect as we go in the future, it will probably get even more easy to uh, use trim support with third party, uh, SSDs. But right now it's still kind of an open question. It's easier than it has been, but it's still not something I would recommend. Um, for more serious problems, uh, disc warrior is still out there. And this is an application we've talked about in the past. Sometimes you get this issue where you, um, you have things start, get scrambled on your drive. You know, the directory uh, tells the drive where to go to find the data. And sometimes if that directory doesn't work right. It can't find the data, even though it's on the drive. Uh, 
Disk Warrior is a computer that goes and indexes your entire drive and builds a new directory. Yeah, Dis- Disk Warrior is one of these apps that does one thing and does one thing very well. And it's if you have this particular problem with your disk, um, Disk Warrior is probably your best chance at fixing it. Uh, it you know, it's 120 bucks or it's 60 bucks to to upgrade. I, you know, the, I have probably had in the last couple of years, I don't know, I would say I would in, in the last 10 years in, in recent memory that I can recall, two instances where I think Disc Warrior would have saved me. And so I will tell you candidly, although I think Disc Warrior is a great product, and I think it's definitely a tool that um, people who repair computers or people who manage many, many computers should have in their tool belt. I think for me, the cost benefit of having it is I just make sure I have a good backup that if I need to, and if I end up with drive corruption, that I know that I have a series of good backups that one of them is going to be good and I can erase and restore. Yes, I I think it was, it seemed to me like it was a worthwhile investment five or six years ago, and I used it more often. And I think that's partly because we were on spinning drives. I mean, when you think about you know, a platter turning 7,200 revolutions per minute with a little needle on the end that randomly jumps up and down to pull data off a magnetic disk. And if anything goes wrong at 7,200 RPM, it's really easy for things to go, you know, sideways really easy. And I think I just saw more disk problems, not only with my own computers, but with the people who I supported. So I was using Disk Warrior, it seemed like about every four months for me or somebody. And yeah, in that case, it's probably felt- worth it. Yeah, and I just haven't but I haven't been updating my license for probably three or four years because I, I've just got to a point where it's not needed very often. I mean, I I haven't had a need for it with the four computers in my house in years. So, you know, it's but it's there. And if you're somebody who who likes to get in and fix things or if you've got a big family or company where you're, you know, trying to keep those drives running, Disc Warrior is still alive and kicking. Version five works great with El Capitan, so it's out there as an option for you. Hey, let's take a minute and talk about our last sponsor. Uh, we do have more to cover, but um, I wanted to take a minute to talk about our friends over at 1Password. Um, 1Password has been a sponsor of the show for a long time, and they just make just this incredible security application and talk about optimizing your my, Mac. It optimizes your Mac and then some. It gives you the ability to create safe and secure passwords that you can have for all the websites you connect to, all the online accounts you have, and all the other info, bits of information you want to keep on your Mac or your iOS device uh, that you don't want other people to see. And all you need to get into this is this one password. That's why it's called one password. You get in there, and it's got a great list. It's got every website you can need to go to. It can even go to the website and fill the passwords in for you. And one of the magic things it does is in that problem you have, when you go to a new website and it says, okay, give me your email address. What do you want your username to be? What's your password going to be? And they will suggest one for you. And they won't suggest some nonsense, uh, tiny, bad password. They'll suggest a real password. And you can even set the parameters of that. And you go ahead and have it fill that in for you. And then it remembers it for you for that website. It doesn't just remember it for you on that computer because 1Password can sync through iCloud and Dropbox. It can remember that password on all of your computers and all of your iPhones and iPads and everything else you use. It's a great way to use safe and secure. It's a great way to use safe and secure passwords. And because you can make a a unique one for every website, you're never going to have that problem where somebody hacks website A and gets your password to website B because they're going to be different everywhere. 
Um, it's a it's a fantastic service, and it's made by a group of people that wake up in the morning and go to bed at night thinking about nothing but making a way to protect your computer and securely protect your data. Uh, I've got my whole family hooked on it now, and my non-nerd family, my wife who wants to put all her apps on her desktop, she gets one password and she uses it all the time. It's not, it's not a hard application to use. And that's one of the other benefits. It gives you the benefit of security and convenience at the same times. It's like breaking the laws of security physics and uh, it really works. So go check it out. We've been talking about it for some time. You may be on the fence. You may say, well, I've just never had time. You know what? The holiday season's coming up, get it set up before you go out and do all that black Friday or what do they call it? Uh, Cyber Monday shopping, mm-hmm. you know, get all that, get that stuff secure. Uh, there's so much more to this application and we'll cover that in future ad spots, but at the root level, this gives you a safe way to be on the internet and there's nothing better than that. Uh, you can get a, um, you can get it from the Mac app store. You can also get it from them directly. And we're going to have a, 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 um, a link in the show notes that you can go to get a discount. Uh, they have bundles. So if you're on windows and Mac, they've got a bundle. So you can get it for both platforms. They've got versions for iOS and Android, and they've got it covered on all these major platforms. You're going to love it. Go check out one password. Let them know that you heard about it from us. Um, Let's talk about removing unused applications, because that's a tricky subject for Mac, because the applications are in the applications folder. You drag them to your trash can. They've they've gone away. That's great. But they still may leave some of this cruft behind. They still may leave some little lingering pieces behind. Most of the time, just removing them from your applications folder is going to be fine. But what if you want to get it all? Yeah, this is something that's kind of got worse over time. I mean, on the old days on the Mac, you had everything in like a folder and you could you delete an application. It just was gone. No, not necessarily. Um, you get all that stuff in the system folder. Yeah, that's true. But it, it feels to me like now things are propagating to additional locations. And um, uh, there are some applications that that will help you get rid of that. Uh, one of them is an application that you probably own already. If you've been listening to us at any length of time, it's Hazel. They have an uninstall feature that removes. It goes out and sniffs out the additional support files on your computer and will make sure those get removed when you delete an application. Um, there are also some third-party utilities that will take care of this. I know App Cleaner is one. I haven't personally used it much because I, I use Hazel for this. But the other one that I use kind of falls into our general purpose utility category. Um, and I, they're, full disclosure, they're a sponsor, but it, it's one that I really do use. It's it's Clean My Mac. It's a, it's a tool that I've used for a long time because it will do all types of things, including removing unused applications, but also going through and cleaning out, you know, maybe language files that you don't need. It will do cache cleaning. Um, it will find, you know, like email attachments that maybe you don't need. It will uh, rebuild databases. And then new that they've added is a whole bunch of like maintenance features that you can do. So you can run those those maintenance scripts and, and rebuild um, your launch services databases and all those other cool things. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a whole like segment of optimization going through something with clean my Mac and it, it, like even the, doesn't it address even like the font database as well? Uh, I don't know if it addresses font database or not, honestly. Yeah. But either way, it, it, it'll go through and, and clean up a lot of that stuff. Um, what about the big question of virus software? I mean, this comes up once in a while. If you're optimizing your computer, are you going to be installing virus software at the same time? 
Uh, I don't. I don't run virus software yeah. on my Mac. <laughs> Some people feel like they need to. I don't. Well, let's make the case for and against. Um, I, I think that in general, um, there uh, virus software. I, let's start with against because that's the easier case to make in some respects. Virus software can slow down your computer because now it's spending all this time analyzing files against a database as they come into the computer. Um, it, it it also I think creates a false sense of security because um, just because you're running virus software doesn't mean you can do anything, which some people tend to think. And it's only as good as the definition database, which isn't always that great. And another case against it is there really aren't a whole lot of applications built around, uh, you know, traditional viruses on the Mac. Most of the ones that, that there are issues with are socially engineered to get you to approve them, to affirmatively install them. And even with the most recent version of El Capitan, Apple's made it again even harder for applications to get into system level um, settings, which explains, frankly, why Bartender had to get an update, which we talked about earlier in the show. And iStat Menus had to get an update because um, Apple just makes it harder and harder for an application to get into that root level stuff that those utilities rightly use and virus software wrongly uses. So um, it's it's hard for people to get in. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't run virus software because every time I, I kind of go over this, I get emails from people saying that they absolutely run it. And there is a case for it. I mean, it helps identify viruses that do exist on your computer. In my experience, when I, when I used to run it, I used to find viruses and email attachments quite often. And usually there were viruses that worked on PCs, not on Mac. So it allowed me to kind of stop the madness. So if somebody got sent me an email with a virus attachment, I, I would at least be able to not forward it on to a PC friend that would get them infected. Um, but I don't run virus software either. The thing that and maybe yeah maybe someday something will change and we'll need it. But I I don't feel I need it now. I, I tell you what we are seeing more recently, and that is we are seeing malware and adware on on Macs, and I, I have seen numerous cases of of people accidentally download things or open a web browser that has taken over there and hijacked their computer. And then they've clicked on something and it's downloaded um, where they've, they've gotten an extension or something else enabled that all of a sudden is just displaying ads on their Mac or, or, or otherwise doing things that it shouldn't. And whether it's malware or, or adware, it's, it's definitely hurting the user experience. So I think this is happening more often. Um, and we talked about there was a website dedicated to that at thesafemac.com. But I think since we did that, um, what was that, When Bad Things Happen episode? Yeah. Where we talked yeah. about all that. Um, the guy who ran thesafemac.com actually got a job offer from the people who made Malwarebytes. So he's kind of the Mac guy now over at Malwarebytes. And Malwarebytes has come out with a free um, Mac version that's free for personal use. It's, it's paid for, um, for commercial use and for business use. Yeah. I, you know, it makes me so crazy that you know the way people get these is you'll get a notification in your browser saying your Mac is not running optimally, or there's some problem with your, your Mac has something installed on it and just click this to install the software to fix it. And, and, you know, they're just taking advantage of people so terribly, you know, the people's own insecurity to create the problem they're describing. It's just, it's just dreadful. I mean, there's a special circle of hell for those people and, uh, but they're out there and that, that is one section you're right that is growing. So how do you deal with this problem? Usually, you know, when you've been infected because your browser starts going, you know, wild on you. Um, but 
Um, if you're not sure, go over to the safemac.com, which redirects to the new website, I believe, and download the software and run it on your Mac to see what happens. We had a family friend that had experienced this, and I, I told her to bring over her Mac, and I went to the Safe Mac, downloaded the software, had it uninstalled in about five minutes. So it's not a huge problem. It's not like a virus that's taking over your computer, but um, this is something that's going on now. And if viruses become a problem at some point on the Mac, then we'll deal with it then. But for now, you're probably okay without virus software. That's true. Right? I, yeah. I'm hoping so. Well, yeah. So is your Mac, Mac optimized now, Katie? You've been doing it while we've been recording the show. I think my Mac's pretty optimized. I like to think so. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what needed work. You know, when I was pre- prepping for the show, I realized that my notification center and my Today View extensions were sloppy. <laughs> so I went through and, and redid all of those. Now they're, they're serving me better now. That was something I could definitely have used. Awesome. Uh, well, hopefully, months ago. hopefully we've given people a few ideas on, on things that they can do to optimize their Mac. Obviously there's more to cover. We, we may very well have a uh, optimize your Mac part two or continuing to optimize your Mac episode a, a couple of months from now, because there's a lot more that we can cover. If we missed anything big, uh, there's always ways that you can contact us. Uh, we do have that feedback show coming first. It's the first Saturday of the month. Um, and it's at, um, relay.fm slash live. You know, a lot of people have asked us, Hey, tell me, you know, about this new live show. It's not a new show. We've been doing it for over a year. And you can you can join us by coming on the first Saturday of the month. It's at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. But I know that's hard to remember because we only do it once a month. But, David, did you know that there's an app for that now? Yes, there is. The, the, Isn't that great? Yeah. Relay has now come out with uh, their new app. And you can uh, listen to the most current, probably the most current two Mac Power user shows. And you can even set it up to give you notifications whenever we are streaming live. So if you forget when we're streaming live, it will give you a little notification. Or, hey, if we ever pop up and start streaming live on a surprise show, it will give you a notification of that. Uh, so we'll put a link in the show notes, but you can find that over at relay.fm. Uh, if you want to send us feedback for the next live show, uh, you can send that feedback to feedback at macpowerusers.com. Uh, and we really love the uh, the audio comments if you want to send us a little audio comment too. Absolutely. Um, you can keep up with us as well on Twitter. We are at macpowerusers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I am at Max Barkey. Um, thank you to, well, I guess we should ask everybody one last time. If you're going to go to this meetup, go sign up. Yes. There's a link in the show notes. And, um, thanks to our sponsors today, Harvest, Automatic, Squarespace, and 1Password. Uh, they help support us and help supporting them helps support us as well. Uh, well, I didn't do that very well. Um, either way, we will see you all in a week and have a great day. <laughs>